Today, I'm talking to Spencer Patterson. He has built an amazing business and sold it for $3.5 million. I'm talking to a non-technical guy today, even though he's built a SaaS product. And it's going to be really interesting to see a non-technical perspective on building software products. This episode is sponsored by Acquire.com. We're going to talk a lot about acquisitions today. Now, here is Spencer. Welcome to the show. You bootstrapped a SaaS product to 140K MRR, and it had 6 million daily users. Four years, quite, quite the accomplishment. This whole led to a $3.5 million exit. Post-exit, you're also working on new projects and you're investing your money and all that. I think you're living the dream that a lot of SaaS founders really want to live. How many failed ideas and products did it take for you to get to this point? What do you think? Oh, man. Well, first off, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm a big fan. I've been following you for a while. I love the product that you're creating right now. I may try to convince you that to let me be an investor at some mm. point, but we'll get, into that. we'll get into that at the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, as far as failed ideas, I, you know, listen, every, every bootstrap founder has all of these ideas that they're trying to product market fit and they're trying to find what their niche is. And it really is just a matter of getting that niche and what, and also what you're passionate about. For me, I was a financial advisor at a financial institution. Um, I jumped around from doing that for a while. I did, you know, different banks, different investment firms. And so I really, my thing was I always just wanted to make a lot of money. And so my thinking out of college was, well, where's the money? It's at the banks. All right. So I'm going to go to the banks and do it. But the problem is it's still technically working retail. And whether people like to admit it or not, you're just selling products, credit cards, checking accounts, and then eventually investment products and, and things of that nature. But that's still where the money is. So I'm like, okay, I, I kind of, you know, I, I got licensed. They, they had me go through all this training and everything with SEC and FINRA and the whole nonsense. And so. I was like, well, I can make money day trading. So I started day trading and I'm like, all right, I'm making decent money here. So I actually ended up meeting up with a another day trader who was exponentially better than I was. I mean, my trades, I'm like, oh yeah, I made like 30%. And he's like, yeah, I made 7,000%, like crazy, crazy numbers kind of guy. So we actually teamed up and, and said, hey, let's do this together. And so we started day trading together, sharing, uh, you know, ideas and different, you know, options to look at. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, well, why don't we just sell the information of how you identify the different, you know, different trade options that you're looking at, you know, opening range breakouts and, you know, looking at the SMA and the moving averages and stuff like that. He goes, yeah, sure. We could sell the information on like what I'm looking at or, you know, just live stream between the daily kind of stuff. So I said, all right, let's, let's start marketing. Let's just, I'll market it. You just do the trades because your trades are better. I said, but I'm, I'm pretty decent at, you know, social media. So started an Instagram account and that's all it really was back then. Cause this was a couple years ago. I mean, Twitter was more just for journalists and TikTok wasn't a thing yet. Um, it was pre pandemic. And so I just started posting all the winning screenshots of what he was doing and, you know, all the trades that we were making and everything. Well, within a few months, we had 300 people paying us $30 a month. And that was like within 90 to 100, like 120 days. And so I'm like, oh man, this is getting like crazy. The number of subscriptions we're getting. I'm like, but I got to figure out like how to manage this better. And so that's when the kind of product market fit started clicking going, okay, I'm having this issue as someone who's doing this. So I started researching other people who were doing similar things in, the, in that space, in the, you know, educational kind of finance educational space. And I saw that they were having the same similar issues. 
And I'm like, well, I, if I'm in the, if I'm not the only one having the issues and they're having these issues, that must mean there's a gap here somewhere that we could, I could build something that would make it easier for them to do it. And that's really all building a SaaS is all about is just filling a gap for someone to help them do what they do better. And so whether they're a designer or whether they're a, you know, they're running a small business or whatever it is, if you make a tool for them, a SaaS tool or something that helps their life automate, it just, it completely redefines the way that they work. And if you could automate the workflow for someone in something that they care about or in the field that they're looking for, that just, I mean, that really, you know, takes a cake. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then that's what SaaS is like. What that—that's the magic of SaaS, right? You just take take this job to be done that people kind of struggle through for days, and you just automate it into like a twenty second kind of script. <laughs> that's just the absolute magic. I mean, that's the absolute best. I mean, even currently, you know, there's there's these new everything nowadays. I feel like is uh, an open AI API tool with a, with a tailwind wrapper. I mean, that's pretty much all it is. But there's <laughs> some ridiculous. that are pretty damn cool. Like, you know, you got the auto headshot, the headshot magic one, and now that's a little played out. And then you got the chat with PDFs and that's a little played out. But there's other ones that are like, hey, we automatically take your your video and clip it into YouTube shorts and Twitch shorts and stuff like that. I'm like, man, like these, to be able to do that and just completely remove the edit, the tediousness of a process like editing or something like that, I mean, that is worth paying for. And if you can build a product and that, that was the goal, to build something as sticky as possible, something that people go, well, I can't work without this now. And that's kind of trying to identify that. You really just got to look around and see, hey, what are people really have, you know, what do they have gripes with and what's tedious in, in their lives? Whatever that may be. It could be B2B, it could be B2C. Um, you know, what are customers having an issue doing? Oh, I'm, you know, uh, converting my Figma into a website. Well, now there's a, a SaaS for that. Just drop, drag and drop the file and boom, now it's a full page website. So things like that, you know, um, that's kind of how I think people should take a look at it when they're when they're bootstrapping and building in public. Oh, for sure. Like the, particularly the the building in public part with with the community being so extremely supportive and helpful with it. Like, all right, that's just. But I want to ask you a question. Like, kind of get, getting back to to your fi financial educational project. Like, would you have built a project or a SaaS business in a space that you didn't already work in at that point, or was that part of the magic for you to to be like consistently involved in financial trading to build something for traders? So the thing was actually. Building the, the SaaS was not in my space, right? Because that was me going off and saying, hey, I'm going to hire a developer. I know nothing about developing. I, can't, I still can't touch a line of code today. I'm, I, I have a great macro understanding of technology and code now because sure. when you chat with a developer for 12 hours a day for years, um, you gain a very good understanding of technology, but I still can't write any code. So the point was, um, you know, being able to hire other developers as a non-developer, that was a challenge. I mean, that was, I went through almost a hundred different developers that I interviewed um, and going through all of that, you know, to, to build something that I still didn't know. Hey, this, I mean, and let me tell you, the first MVP was garbage. I mean, when I tell you garbage, it was the worst MVP you could ever imagine. It was built like in Django and it would like crash every couple of hours. But being in sales, I was like, I could still, I could sell the hell out of this. Like, I'm just going to, you need this in your life because it does the X, Y, and Z. And that's a lot, that I think is something that a lot of the build in public community is missing. They're getting it vicariously through posting, but they're, I don't feel like they're 
as motivated for selling as they need to be. They're plugging their product every now and then on, you know, on Twitter, yeah, I'm building this, I'm building this, I'm building this. But what's the pitch? You need a pitch and you need to get, you need to target your audience because not necessarily your audience is the building public people. So. That's always a big, big problem. And that's a big problem. I think for most people who come from more like an engineering background, I don't, I don't know like how, how that was with the, the engineers that you talked to and, and that you tried to hire and the, the people that you end up, ended up hiring. But I think from my experience and the people that I get to talk to, like, marketing selling that's always a red flag for an engineer for some reason there's this weird distinction between making the thing and making the thing go to other people and this line shall not be crossed is super weird how did you deal with that in, in the people that you worked with well i think well first of all don't get me wrong those interviews were, were crazy i mean i would say like a good third of the interviews didn't even turn on their camera and i'm like hey like i'm trying to have a conversation with you they're like oh i don't do camera and i'm like wow that's like Talk about really not wanting to get out of your shell. And, you know, listen, I get that some people are not talkers. And to be honest, I feel like engineers who want to work behind a computer purposely chose that career so they don't have to go For sure. down that road of, you know, talking and video chats and, you know, marketing their product. But being an engineer and being a solopreneur are two different things. You're now taking the whole pie that, you know, the whole the whole thing, you're responsible for it. So you can't only just say, I'm going to be the back end guy. And yeah, I'll post some things. And now you got to be the face. And, you know, there's some there's some founders out there who are doing it very well. But a lot of people out there are just not marketing to them, you know, marketing to the masses as themselves as, hey, I'm the brand. So is the, the product. But, you know, here it is. And so, you know, talking with those developers, interviewing them, I finally got one who was who was decent, very good at what he did. Um, Personality wise, it wasn't a it wasn't a good mix, but he was so damn good that it was like, all right, fine. Um, and at the time, it was bootstrapped, so you know I was using my savings account money to to fund this thing. So you know, someone who was able to work with me within my budget, you know, you, you kind of just have to make do. Yeah, I, I guess like the, it's that's the thing about being a solopreneur. It's like compromise all over the place internally and with the things that you do. Right, you can only do so much. You can only do the thing that you're currently focused on, and everything else has to kind of be scheduled. So, did you did you immediately hire? Like, how how, how big was the team? Like, as the business was starting, did you immediately hire and and then hired later? Or so I originally hired one uh, developer to build the MVP. And so the MVP didn't need, I mean, don't get me wrong, it needed maintenance, but not maintenance that I couldn't do, like restarting the server and, you know, clicking on and off on DigitalOcean, like, oh, you know, like, Fixed. that's how, yeah, like, <laughs> well, it crashed, let me just click the, the button or, you know, so, I mean, I could do that stuff. So after the MVP was built, and I spent too much money for a crappy MVP, um, and again, because I just couldn't build it myself, but I had this idea and I knew I needed to use it. So... You know, a lot of the issue was, <sighs> sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> well, the, the question was like, who did you hire and what were the, the steps that you took? Like, did you hire more people immediately or did you slowly hire later? That's kind of the idea. Yeah. So, so basically I hired, you know, for the initial MVP, but the problem was once that MVP was done, I just decided I'm like, I'm going to market this and I'm just going to run with it because I don't want to one, have the running cost of having a developer on staff because I just couldn't afford it. So I waited until after I started onboarding other people onto the system, more customers. Once I got more customers on the system, I then took that revenue 
once I started recouping some of the money that I invested in the product, and then I said, all right, now I'm going to start looking for someone who could come on full time because we started getting uh, feedback requests like, hey, we need features and we need this and we need that. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't just leave them in a lurch because there were other mer- there were other merchants or customers that wanted to be on my system that wouldn't leave their system unless we had X feature. So I'm like, well, okay, if you guarantee that you'll bring over your X amount of audience, I'll get that feature built. And they're like, sure, we'll do it. So I, listen, one of the big things that my mom taught me was just say yes and figure it out later. And so that's what I ended up doing a lot, a a lot of the time with this. You know, someone would say, hey, could you do this? And if it was worth it to invest in that product or that, I mean, uh, in that feature set, I would just say, yes, I'm like, yeah, sure, we could do that and then figure it out later. But we got the business and then that we you're basically front loading it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I talked to, to Rob Walling about this, too, a couple of weeks ago on this show. Like, should you build features for people who say they're going to buy once they get the feature? And it, it was kind of a maybe answer, I guess, depending on how involved they are and how truthful that statement actually is. Did you ever run into situations where you build it and they didn't come? Yes, uh, of course, because the dealing with the general public, you're going to have that. You're going to have a lot of disappointments dealing with the general public. Not everybody, not everybody is like the build-in public founder community where they're all supportive and rah, rah, rah. They could get on your system and be like, yeah, I wanted you to build this. Eh, it turns out I don't like it. It sucks. And then they leave. And you just go, man, what a disappointment. I mean, there are times that we invested money into building like a full landing, custom landing page for a, a certain customer. And all of a sudden they're just like, yeah, we decided we just didn't want to switch. And yet we spent thousands of dollars on, you know, getting a custom graphics and hiring someone to do it, but just didn't go. So what then we do is we repackage it as a general feature for everybody and just make it, you know, uh, usable across the masses. I love that. That's a wonderful idea. It's kind of uh, t- turning the loss into a win for more people than were initially even involved. That's really cool. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, oh, I think that's a, you that's like a great that, you're gonna If you like that, you're going to love how I, how I handle customer service. Well, please go ahead. <laughs> so what we did with customer service is I originally, uh, so we had a lot of different customers using the system, you know, 6 million daily users. And so we could identify who the power users were. So I ended up contacting one power user. I was like, hey, if I give you the system completely for free, will you be our main support guy and just help onboard all the, you know, the new people that have questions? And so he goes, yeah, sure. No problem. So we started working together. And then after a while, he started recruiting other power users of the system. So by the end of it, we had five to seven power users getting the system completely free or for like very affordable. And they would just be 24-7 being the customer support didn't cost me a dime other than, you know, what their lost revenue, but they were, they use the system every day. So who better to explain, you know, the new feature set or, you know, how to use it or the best use case than someone who's using it for their business every single day. That's so cool. Like recruiting from your own user base is probably one of the, the best kept secrets or the most high impact secrets that you have as a bootstrapper. Like those people, particularly the early customers who've been with you, have seen the growth, seen the effort you put into it for them, right? Of those course. people, they will, they will do, they will go out of their way to make your life easier, which is really, really awesome. They're the brand ambassadors. I yes. mean, they're the, those brand ambassadors are so invaluable. I mean, they're so valuable that it's, you really just need to take a look and say, okay, who's doing the most for the business, not to take away or detract from their business, but how can they, you help them 
help you. And that's really the that's really the key here. Is that something you figured out like by random chance or was that intentional from the start, the treating them this way? It was more not random, but similar to the product, you know, a product market fit. I was finding an issue with my own time management in the beginning because now I'm dealing with the people who had customer service issues. I had to project manage. I had to kind of lead the marketing campaigns. I was doing everything on the business side except for the coding, not the infrastructure or the security or anything like that. But I was doing all of that stuff. And I go, well, the customer service is eating up X amount of time from my daily schedule. I could be using that for project planning. I could be using that for road mapping. Any of the other things that I could be doing that are you know, it's calculating where your time is best spent. As you know, with the, the 25 projects that you have going on, <laughs> what is going to obtain the most value for your time? And because you're the only one who could kind of see the vision, you have to be the your own best judge of time management, because that's one of the things that will kill a founder's business. If you have poor time management and you spend three hours on uh, on two pixels, moving it back and forth because you don't like it's not centered or whatever you're you're fixating and you need to break away i mean that's that's the thing so customer service i said i needed to break away and so that's when i got the power user to start and that was pretty early on do you have a framework for this like when you make that choice so i usually um kind of break up my day into specific sprints and i know that sounds crazy to break up your day into like hourly (laughs) kind of sprints but i have um I've got about 30 alarms on my phone and it's pretty, pretty wild. Like when I should wake up, when I should take my pills, when I should have my breakfast, when I, it's time to get in the chair, when it's time to drink water, like the whole thing, because I need to remove as much of that as possible, the decision-making process out of there. And so when I have a block assigned for a specific amount of time, if I go over more consistently in, let's say a week or two week period, I'll say, okay, you know what? This time slot is obviously not working. Why is it not working? And then I'll turn around and say, okay, it's because this time slot is eating into this time slot. I need to somehow make an adjustment to make it more worthwhile because the return on investment of a time is, uh, you know, the time cost is is just not there. So that's how I generally prioritize. That's awesome. Like tracking. That's one of the things that I'm really bad at, like tracking the, the time that I spend on stuff because I'm so curiosity driven. And that is, that is what often creates a lot of friction in, in my schedule that if I, if I didn't have like actual deadlines set, I would just like play around with stuff all the time. And that, you know, makes it kind of hard to track the time and then look back and do some analysis because I don't have anything to track or anything. Well, to that's, that's why I have uh, nighttime reserved for research right. and I call it research, but really it's, you know, watching YouTube videos and, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, just that kind of <laughs> uh, di- exactly diving into, you know, Reddit threads and stuff like, but, you know, that research is also valuable because you turn around and you could say, you know, you go into a thread on Reddit and you just say, wow, a lot of people are having this issue with things. Why? And then you start rabbit holing. And that's, I try to, I try to be careful about rabbit holing because, you know, then it's, 3 a.m. I still haven't slept. I got to be up at nine to start my routine. And I'm like, man, like that rabbit hole was good, but I'll wait till, you know, you just kind of prioritize the time and save it for later. Do you, do you still have uh, as rigid or as like, you know, intense of a schedule now that you've sold the business? Is, is that still the same? Do you still have the drive to structure your day like this? I still have the drive because I feel that structure in your life is important. I feel like routine is extremely important for people. Otherwise, they fall into kind of, I don't want to call it a rut, but they fall into a um, just a pattern of haphazardness. And so it doesn't have to be as rigid where I go, oh, man, I'm 15 minutes over. I got to, you know, do it. But I go, oh, I'll just keep 
you know, some accurate time, like, okay, yeah, you know what? It's time for me to start shifting gears into something else. And that could be even, Hey, I went over by half an hour. It's time for me to work out. I got to stop what I'm doing so I can take care of my body now. So, you know, still having that schedule, I think is important because it's not just work at this point. Now it's the, the whole picture of your life, because when you're in that business and you're in that grind, you, you, you hyper-focus and then everything, I'm sure there's been times where you haven't eaten for seven hours straight and you go, Oh man, where's lunch? But if I didn't have that time blocked off, I would have said, Oh man, I'm just going to go hungry. You know, that's, you need to kind of, I, I personally like it just because it, it takes a lot of the decision making out of my life. I, I like this bigger picture idea you just talked about because I can very much relate to this. This happened to me too when I sold the business that stuff just changed. Like my perspective on, on economics, on my own economic choices and all that changed. How did that change for you? Because $3.5 million is a lot of money. And I know there's still taxes and all kinds of other things that could come off this, but still it is a, it's a seven figure deal. How, how did that impact the choices that you made both for yourself, like for your life, for your loved ones and, and the structure of your day? And maybe, maybe also just like for, for what you care about at this point. Of course. So I think, you know, one of the things we don't, I mean, our taxes are German taxes for sure, <laughs> but they're pretty damn close. I mean, um, you know, recently these taxes just going through the roof, but you have to remember at that point, I was already bootstrapped and we were already making 140,000 a month. So the thing was the, the programmer salaried, right? So he's on a, He's on a fixed schedule and he had bonuses and things of that nature. But after, you know, the, the margins were over 90% because <laughs> yeah, the business, sure the business like $2,000 a month to run maybe. And that's without like marketing costs and stuff like that because those are variable. So for $2,000 a month, pulling in that much, it was just time though, because I was, you know, listen, I was the only, I was the business half. So when something would go wrong, on the programming side, which it always does, you know, I mean, that's just what happens. Something crashes, it breaks, there's an update. When that happens, it's three in the morning, it's two in the morning, it's 5 a.m. It doesn't matter what time. You got to get up and you got to attend to your baby because when your baby's crying, you have to get up and, and do something about it. And so the issue is, I, I'm sitting there going, I'm, I'm pulling 18 hour days, you know, 16, 18 hour days. I really need to figure out what I need to prioritize in my life, because at this point, now I can start taking a seat back. But I started looking at like getting CEOs and stuff like that. But then I started thinking as a founder, and you know this better than anyone else, who is really going to take care of your business better than you can? Now, I'm not talking about like the managing the project and, and stuff like that, but I'm talking about those 3 a.m. calls when there's an issue, a global worldwide issue, because, you know, we had we had customers in over a hundred countries. And so there was never a non prime hour because when the prime hours were over in America, they were just starting somewhere else. You know, the, the European prime hours, we had just, we had maybe like a third of the customers in the European, you know, sorry, Spain, Italy, France and all the things. So when it goes down in the middle of the night, it's affecting that whole sector. So I'm like, you know, I, I just felt like at, at some point it, I needed to take a step back. And I said, you know what? Pandemic delayed a lot of things in my life, my wedding, starting a family. I just hyper-focused on the business. I said, I think it's time to to kind of sell. I want to start a family. I want to, you know, kind of get everything situated in my life personally versus uh, being hyper into the business. But now that I'm out and exited, um, 
I do want to help other founders, one, grow their business and help scale because it is hard. I mean, it's so hard when you, yeah, you got a $500 MRR. How do you get to 5,000? How do you get to 50,000? I mean, that's the, those are the real questions. And it's not just about a grind. A daily grind doesn't, you can be doing the same process over and over again. And yeah, you may see results, but are they the most effective results? You know, and then there's also the fact of if founders want to exit, there's a lot to exiting that whole founders have no idea because you don't even know what you don't know until you go through the process. You yourself have been through a, a, a nice exit. You you can't even, ex, I mean, you could explain it, but there's things you don't know to, to even think to ask. And so helping other founders um, with that, that's why I'm starting my YouTube channel. It's uh, YouTube at SAS, S-A-A-S. Um, I managed to get that handle, so I, I know that you're you're gonna you're excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> it is so cool. It is it's gonna that's gonna be a fun project. What are you gonna yeah. do there? Like, how are you gonna help founders with with that journey on YouTube? So one of the things, I mean, it's gonna be all SaaS, obviously. That's why I got the handle at SaaS. But the I'm I'm planning on doing three different uh, topics. One is gonna be my journey, and you know the things that I've learned along the way in building a, a multi million dollar business with one employee or one uh, you know one person as a non programmer. So kind of going through those lessons that I've learned and how I scaled it, all the different tactics I used, um, a lot of different uh, road mapping you know strategies and how to kind of best optimize your time. Then the other thing is doing reviews of founders projects and they're all going to be pretty much glowing. And, you know, if there's issues, I'll, I'll mention them, but to be honest, they're, they're mainly going to be glowing reviews of all of supportive. them. Supportive. Yeah, that's right. Supportive. You know, look <laughs> as the, as the build in public community, you know, you got to be supportive of the founders because you know what? It, it, it is admirable that someone wants to take their time and say, I'm done with the grind. I'm done with the, I'm done being the slave to the corporate or the, you know, working, making money for someone else. So I, you have to support these people because they've got a dream and they're taking the step to at least try. And that's, that's what matters. And if they tried four or five, six times, okay, what can, how can we help? How can I help them change the way they're doing things to make it a successful, uh, a successful product adventure? And then the other thing would be uh, founder interviews. So after we do a bunch of reviews, like let's say I review, you know, this really cool uh, product that I just found um, not too long ago, it takes podcasts <laughs> across the internet and it scrapes their, their it scrapes the podcasts. <laughs> and what it does is it transcribes all the podcasts and it's doing like 600, 6,000 an hour right now, like crazy numbers. But a product like that, which would be so cool, do a full review of the product, show the landing page, how it's doing it, how it's beneficial, the use cases. Um, and then afterwards, interview the founder because now they get two publicity segments. They get the one of the, the review of the product and then two, hey, how did you come up with the idea? What's your plan next? Kind of similar to, you know, what most people are want to know, you know, on, on YouTube, the how to's. Well, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and for everybody who who doesn't get this little uh, behind the scenes thing, but that that is the project that I'm currently working on. I'm doing a podcast scanning service that I'm not sure if it's a product or not. We're like I'm working through this myself in public right now. I'm using it as a the idea initially was to build it as a little marketing tool for my existing software business that I'm trying to market, but now it it's all getting complicated and one of the reasons that I I love just talking to you right now is cuz I can see that you really understand like the the strong 
struggle of a founder wanting to build cool stuff and then coming to find there's another cool thing that I might want to build, but you're only one person and you only have your day, right? Your, your 24 hours or whatever 12, 16 hours you actually have of your day. So I, I love this idea. I love the idea of, of using media to, to impact more people. It's funny because you had 6 million daily users. That's already a lot of people to impact with the, with the business. But I also understand having gone the same like route as you have post SaaS going into media, um, how, how this has a different kind of impact. Now, what I, I have, I have a question for you here. Like, is this, um, you could have just built another SaaS. That's always an option, right? Like you could just done the exact same thing again, bigger this time, smaller this time, whatever, right? Could have been anything. Why choose media? Why choose YouTube? So I think the the big thing is I'm also still doing that. So I'm also, uh, currently investing in five new SaaS businesses per year. That's kind of my own goal that I've set for myself, my own metric, whether it's building from scratch, which I, to be honest, I don't want to do. Um, I, I'll never be a solopreneur again. If I'm going to build another business, I'm going to have partners. So a partnerpreneur is, is probably the way I'm going to go because I don't want to doing it all yourself, man. It is, it's a struggle and, and you know, so whether I, build it from scratch or I buy something off of a marketplace or, or what have you, or just contact someone. I found a, a pretty cool AI tool the other day that I was testing out. And I was like, man, I would love to just get involved in this project. And so I contacted them, spoke to them and said, Hey, you know, how would X amount of dollar investment impact your bottom line? How would it impact your growth? Um, and so we're in discussion right now about how I can become a, a significant partner in the business to help scale it and then bring some of those resources and some of those tools that I know how to do on my skill set and say, hey, let's take your business from 5,000 MRR. Let's see how we can double or triple or quadruple it in the next six to 12 months. So I, I'm still doing that, but I feel that media in in a some way and, and to preface this, my startup was built in stealth. Silent building public is was not even a thing when I started building my <laughs> yeah, my my started building my product. So I didn't even think to like oh let me just you know daily blog about every single thing that I've done. Like I you know I I yelled at the computer today because it, you know it crashed. You know like I didn't even think you know that that was something people wanted to see. So everything I did was in private, which you could say is the traditionalist way of doing it or not. I don't know, but. I certainly would go in the build in public route in the future because you get that built in brand and that built in audience and seeing the power of that brand loyalty as opposed to just being loyal to the product versus being loyal to the person and the product. You build a, a, a tighter is a tighter glue there. So I think media, though, could help when you're explaining from a successful point of view what the, the next steps are or helping them review or getting that that you know, that content out there. And I know there's a lot of content out there already, but coming from someone who's done it, I feel like I do have, you know, some valuable advice that I can help give to some people because I mean, we did silly things like we had, we had $25,000 contests for people to try and meet certain KPIs. I mean, like it was like, I did random, like random, I did publicity stunts. Like I did things that, I mean, it's without mentioning what the business is, it's hard to describe, but did a lot of wild things that could give people ideas and say, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. If, if you have more of these things to share without like, you know, going into too much detail, I'd be interested because that, that stuff that you wouldn't normally think about, particularly if you're like an introverted tech origin solopreneur, 
it's just even hearing about it can often just unlock ideas. So, hey, shoot. <laughs> that's what I would like to say. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, there's, it really depends on what vertical you're in and what you're targeting. But, you know, I mean, if you're targeting Excel users, I wouldn't say, you know, do a drop money from a helicopter. That's probably not going to, probably not their thing. <laughs> but, you know, seeing people compete on the Excel, uh, yeah, you know, gaming the, the, Twitch Olympics, channel thing, that, yeah. you know, that, <laughs> I mean, that could get them pretty riled up and excited. So you have to, you know, really know your audience. But with that, kind of just speak into what makes the audience tick and then kind of gear your, you know, gear your campaigns around it. And it doesn't have to be ads, like spending money on the ads. You you still have to spend money in one way or another. Um, and you use the revenue that you've generated from that once you've gotten to that point. If you're not at the point of post revenue, though, you need to, uh, there, there's other steps you need to take prior to, to, to doing your, your marketing campaigns, though. Such as? Uh, well, I mean, you know, you need to first make sure your pricing is is on point, that you're not, you know, keep gatekeeping the, the product from people. You need to determine if you're doing a freemium model or if you're doing a explicitly paid model. How low is your barrier to entry? Um, you know, what is your, you know, the average lifetime value of the customer? Um, you know, do you have heat mapping on your site to see what they're doing or where they're getting lost? Or if there's bugs on the site that you didn't even know, not bugs like code wise, but bugs UX wise. Because UX is just as important as UI. If you turn around and you go, yeah, the UI is perfect. We used a React dashboard and it's, it looks, you know, perfect or whatever. But someone goes through the sign up process and there's nine clicks to get just signed up. Well, you know what? There's a problem with your optimization there. So I feel all of those need to be ironed out before you really start broad scaling it because that's, you know, you want a well-oiled machine. You don't want to just get in the car, turn it on and floor it and redline it because you're, you're going to mess something up. You, what you need to do is make sure, check the oil, check the, you know, the, the air, check the filter, check everything and say, okay, now it's perfectly, you know, QA'd and now we can go uh, hit, hit the track. So between things like heat mapping and, and measuring and probably recording sessions and all that kind of stuff, that's more kind of a technical uh, measuring way. Did you do any like in, in-person customer interviews and just watch them use the product? No. Uh, so I didn't actually do any of that because I didn't have enough time. And, um, and I say, when I say I didn't have enough time, I, what I really mean is I didn't know to do that back then. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was just so into the, the product before I started doing research on extensive, like, how can I increase the longevity of the customer? How can I reduce churn? I mean, when I tell you I attended so many stupid webinars, like from Stripe sessions and from this one and that one, and just like going through these things. And most of them you could tune out after, like you can log off after the first, you know, you join like halfway through because the first like 20 minutes is just, you know, fluff anyway. But once you start getting into the, the nitty gritty or just get the PDF uh, review afterwards, you go, hmm, that is an interesting thing that I can do. Maybe I, I could take, you know, make the checkout process a little more seamless. So we actually did that. We, we made the checkout process one click as opposed to three clicks. And what we found was, yeah, it did actually increase the, the numbers a little bit. And so whether it was the same amount that they claim, you know, that's, that's, you know, to be examined on a mass scale, but you know, there were tools that we use. Business intelligence is, is such an important part of, of bootstrapping because a lot of people, they just look at their Stripe data and they're like, okay, cool. Yeah. I've got, you know, this and there's some churn and there's some LTV. We use a product called Metabase. It's a, it's not a well-known product. I mean, you know, it is, it's open source. It's probably the best business intelligence tool that I've seen for, 
in general. And that's, you know, we used it on a daily basis, multiple times a day, because it was live updating analytics from our database that we can see in real time, dollars, numbers, churn, everything. I mean, when I tell you extensive, we could see it was like Google Analytics dashboard if if they went even crazier like Amazon, like AWS. Like that's how complex this thing was, but you can build your own queries and maps and stuff like that. So, you know, having a good intelligence of what your customers are doing, where they're failing, why they're dropping off. Um, that was another thing that we, you know, had to learn uh, along the way was, you know, that post exit, uh, not post exit the sale, but the post exit of the post churn, I should say mm-hmm. for the customer. That exit, yeah. <laughs> surveying them. Yeah, yeah. Surveying them and saying like, Hey, why did you leave? Not necessarily just like, yeah, we're not, we'll, we'll try to win them back, but more so for our own edification to say, okay, yeah, we need to, we need to fix this because if they're leaving for a stupid reason that could have been fixed in two seconds, that, you know, you, you really need to, the business intelligence, I think is one of the most important aspects that a founder needs to really get a, get a good grasp on. This blows my mind every time when I, when I hear people who really have done everything dive into the specifics and it just it just shows you how much there is to do when you run a business like this right like and even on the technical side there are like hundreds of things that you need to think of and then there's the bi side and then there's the just the marketing side the sales side that is that's a, that's a lot of stuff you need to do and i think there's also a lot of advice out there right i guess we are kind of focused on trying to kind of even just funnel it into a, a shape, into a conduit that works for bootstrappers. But there's, like you said, Stripe. There's Stripe advice out there for businesses of all sizes, right? What should you do for churn if you're VC or if you're like bootstrap? Like, how do you, how do you pick the right advice? That to me is always a hard question as somebody who gives advice, even for myself to answer. But how did you know what to follow and what not to follow? So you really have to analyze what what uh, your situation is and kind of say, okay, well, if I'm looking at, you know, this many users, this much revenue, how, you know, this many sessions, I mean, you start have to, you have to start going technical, which again, like I said, I, I can't program, but I do understand the, you know, the technical aspects of it. So when you start looking at how many sessions you have and the, you know, the time on the page and the, the difference in how sticky it is, you start looking for those particular answers. So Stripe sessions, yeah, maybe it was okay. You know, you, you start looking at some of these LinkedIn, uh, you know, newsletters, mm, not really that great. Most of them, they're like, yeah, mm. but you know, some of these sessions that they have on LinkedIn, actually from the LinkedIn people, because they're, you know, they've got a lot of analytics over there. You could start gathering the data and you, yeah, a lot of it is you don't need a lot of it, but there may just, the problem is if you don't digest it, you won't, you may be missing that nugget, that diamond in the rough that you go, oh damn, that's a freaking amazing idea that I should have, I should have done, but because you didn't see the whole thing or at least get the bullet point list, you know, throw it, throw the PDF into chat GBT and just say summarizes for me. Give me the, give me the rundown. I did that before when Stripe sends out all their nonsense PDFs. I just throw them in there and I'm like, all right, give me the top three like bullet points because I don't have time to scour 40 pages. I just want to know like, what's the big deal? Hey, reduce your, your time to check out. Hey, reduce the, uh, the latency on this, the time to first, you know, content paint, you know, I mean like there's so many different, um, you know, advice out there, but it really has to, it really stems with identifying what issue you're struggling with first. And then from there, you ex- you extrapolate the rest of the data that comes in, you know, based on the, uh, you know, whichever data you're funneling. 
that's a great framework. Like identify the pain point that you have where, as much as you can. And then kind of, I, I love the idea that you mentioned like chat with PDF because we just talked about this as, you know, one of those things that just is being built on top of all these platforms. But it's, it's useful, right? If you have a, a prompt, if you have a question that you need answered as clear or fuzzy as it might be, you just throw it into the system. The system, the LLM will think about it in context of this information and pull out what you need. It's like your personal research assistant. That is really cool. Uh, it's definitely going to replace a lot of jobs. I mean, as as someone who's actively looking to buy and acquire businesses right now, SaaS businesses, like under like a quarter million, right? So I'm not looking for, you know, a, another $3 million project to purchase or whatever. But if I buy two or three quarter million dollar projects, they're, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be running, they're going to be functional. But to be honest, on the marketplaces, and I belong to a lot of them, it's just like every third business is now an AI wrapper with like a tailwind wrapper and an open AI or a board call like kind of thing. And it's like, all right, but how many of these are there and how many people are they going to replace? And so then that kind of makes you look for the future and you go, okay, well, what's, what's something that's not replaceable by AI right now? And I'm talking about SaaS wise, not, you know, obviously, you know, plumbers or electricians or stuff like that. I'm talking about right now. What, is AI going to have a difficulty with content? It they go it goes pretty pretty good with content right now, you know. So the problem is what identifying that. I I'm a firm believer of marketplaces. I think marketplaces, even though they're difficult to scale and and you know do well, I think marketplaces and AI can't really replicate rip, replicate that that well because you've got the buy side, you've got the sell side. There's no real you know, way to content or, or optimize for that. You need both. So I feel like marketplaces are one. Um, you know, there's, you know, brands, specific brands. I mean, you could make brands with AI, but they're they're not as good quality, I think, right now. So there's there's a lot to it. So what I what I hear you say is that in in looking for things to buy or invest in, you look for things where AI is not the main dish. AI is a you know a facilitator for something that is so uniquely human, I guess, that an artificial thing cannot do it. That is, I think that's an interesting and important point going forward, building businesses, right? That is, if you rely on AI as the thing and you don't have control over it, because I've been building, you know, the podcast thing that you so carefully mentioned earlier, which I'm really appreciative of, that is all local. Right? I'm running this on my own computer. Like this AI is owned by me. I don't have to pay OpenAI anything to do this or license it or whatever. In in the future, there will be work that cannot be done on local machines because it's just so computationally intensive. And then you depend on somebody else. So is is that something that you very actively avoid when looking at businesses to buy in, uh, buy or invest in? I don't want to say like I'm you know avidly against it. I just want to say that it's it's so easy to replicate now with AI that if you were to buy a business and yeah, it's got customers and it's got you know X amount. House, you, you need some sort of moat. You know, that's that's a big thing that, that bootstrappers talk about. What's my moat? What's your moat to prevent someone from being able to, to look at the the um the headshot, uh, you know, the, the, the AI headshots. How quickly did Vercel all of a sudden offer that as just a, a one-click deploy option? And now all of a sudden that business model is just because now it's easily deployed in one one click. 
Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, wasn't it the same with like, uh, ch- like Chat GPTs? Like the, the when yeah. uh, OpenAI released the GPTs, and everybody was like, "Yeah, now all these rappers effectively have been replicated or are easily repli- replicatable." I think like I, I was seeing D- Damon Chen talking about this too, because like you know ch- Chat dot or what PDF dot AI or whatever his product is, he was like, "Yeah, sure, you could re- replicate it somewhat as a GPT, but all the things around it, like all the actual integration and the you know the data analysis part and and the ease of use the, I, I guess the job to be done workflow integration like what do i need this for right that stuff that is where sas really shines sas is the integr- integrator of things and one of the things can be ai but to make the whole thing about ai i guess that's also that's the risky part right right the, the risky part is if you're building a tool versus building on top of AI. Yes, yes. Because that that I think is the the risk there. Because yeah, listen, you could turn around and build another AI tweet generator or AI tweet replier. I mean, how many of those are out there now? I mean, within the past 2 months, I feel like I've seen at least 10 pop up. And so I'm like, okay, how many of obviously the moat is not there because you've got every everybody in there, you know, their brother making one. And they they cut they they're able to make a Chrome extension in in 5 minutes. And, you know, the AI integration takes, you know, no, no time at all. So it's like, okay, why would I buy something like that? I mean, you know, there's really no purpose because even if you train the model, okay, I could train it differently too. It's still something that just can be easily accessed. Now, if you were to have a business that is, let's say, using, you know, PyTorch or something that's, you know, that you have to customly custom build to edit a video on the fly or something like that. Yeah, AI can do it, but it's a little bit more complex, a little more integrated. So I think getting something, you know, making your moat as, you know, as deep and as wide as possible to make it to fend off potential poachers and competitors is going to be one of the keys. That's something I think a lot about with my own projects as well. Right? This this whole what what is the moat for this? Because technology is it's not only that that it's easy to build stuff, right? That's for, for a coder, it, you can build anything if you just put your mind to it. But even AI as a tool to help you build, like the uh, was it uh, GitHub's Copilot and the, the AI code builders now? Like I can literally and I often do this as I code. Just ask the thing a question and it comes with the full functionally working code that I could just put in and it works. Like, th- and, and if I can do this, everybody can do this, right? Like and, everything and gets easier. Yeah, I mean, that's, probably. That's they can, <laughs> some people they're like, Oh, I have pre-written pop prompts that, you know, I've trained it to just, I click what I click control one and it creates a website. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, how's this going to be in the future yeah and, and and that's the thing like this this technology is like what two years old at max that blows my mind as well like we have already integrated these things that this ai as a helping tool as an assistant as a foundation of our businesses and the technology in, in its public state i know open ai is like nine years old or even even older than this but they're the chat gpt3 was the big thing and 3.5 and 4 now and hope and 5 soon right there's there's gpt5 that's going to exactly. be it's going to be even crazier than 4 which was already crazy like this stuff is coming so fast at us that i i often when when you take take the the, the visual um, of the moat. I'm always thinking about, you know, this, this, uh, just a, a castle and there's a moat around it. Now it feels like you don't even have time to just get, get in there with your spade and, and get the moat built before the moat is already like drowned. It's already like they don't have the time to even build the moat before new technologies overtake it. That's so crazy. I think the issue is you have to identify the moat prior to building. 
I think that's that, that's one of the big things because if you just go into this going, oh, I'm just going to build this, I think you go, well, how can I prevent someone else from taking it? So what I love about the podcast thing is, yeah, someone could replicate that pretty easily. But once you've got those transcripts, they would have to spend the time and energy and hours to get that data as well. So now they would also have to build it and scrape it from you. So now you're adding an extra layer of difficulty for them to, to, to do something. So it, then the value becomes in, hey, we've got a database of 5 million podcasts. How crazy is that? And that is that, already valuable, right? The database itself has value. Right. The data, exactly. And every day that it runs, the database gains more value and adds to the moat. So that is a in and of itself, you know, and like having a, an API or having something that gatekeeps not just the feature set, but the actual information is uh, is value in and of itself and a moat. Well, thanks for validating my business ideas. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's really cool. And and let me validate yours because I think your YouTube channel and the, the work that you're going to be doing on, on there at YouTube at SaaS, which is hilarious and wonderful. I'm really looking forward to this because I, I think like, let, let's just say with the, um, it's, it's not the cancellation, but you know, the, the, the stopping of the Indie Hackers podcast, which is one of the biggest podcasts in our space that just doesn't release new episodes anymore because its founders have other things to do. Build a community. That takes a lot of time and work as well. I think our our space, the, the Indie Hacker, technical or not, doesn't really matter. Like Anybody who wants to build a business that is theirs, that space deserves more content that caters to their curiosity, to the need to connect with founders, to the need to see other people's work. And I love all three of these, right? You have the, the educational, the advice stuff from your own journey. You have the interviews where people can feel more connected to other founders and feel less alone in their journey. And then they can also see other products and other things that they don't care about. It's not their, their vertical or whatever it is, it's not their niche. They just don't care, but they care that something exists for that and they can learn from that. They can learn about how the UX is designed, how design works, how features are prioritized, roadmaps are built. I love this kind of stuff. So I'm really, really looking forward to you, you making this happen. And if you need any help, I'm here. I can yeah, help you with please. this stuff as well. We Prior to this, uh, at me hitting the record button, we were like 15 minutes into designing a studio and, and soundproofing it. All of this stuff, there obviously are better resources than me because I'm also just an amateur in this. But hey, I'm I'm happy to, to extend a helping hand here. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and the hey, other thing is about the YouTube channel for the, the reviews of the tools and the reviews of the SaaS products by the founders. One, they'll love getting the review of their product that it's going to be glowing. But two, people who are watching it may not even know that something like that exists. That and go, right. Yes. Yeah, let me go check that out because you don't, there's tools like I didn't even know about Sentry and Sentry IO. If you, if you dude, I'm using it for Podland and for my new project. Right. <laughs> Surprise! <And> so prior <laughs> to seeing something like that, I'm like, oh my god, this is this is amazing. And so it's not like it's a why. I mean, it is a it's a big product now, but back then it was not that like oh, not that well known. And if you find something that you go, oh, that's a fantastic idea. I could use it for my business, just like MetaBase, just like Hotjar, just like I mean, there's so many tools out there that could optimize your, I mean, it's, yeah. 
now that you mentioned this, like yesterday I was having a conversation on Twitter asking like where should I log my my error logs for my for my um application podline as it's running because I wanted to, uh, a cheaper place than you know the enterprise solutions that charge you like thousands of dollars a year. I, I don't want to do this with a bootstrap product project. And somebody showed me a product like Flare, which is built for for Laravel applications like mine that I could just plug in and I did. It took me like two minutes. Now I have a logging solution for 10 bucks a month. I didn't know that existed. I almost paid seven hundred dollars per year. And now I'm paying 70 or like 120. It, it, it makes, it makes such a big difference just to share these things, the little things on the tech stack and in the implementation side, tiny little pieces of knowledge. Though that's all we, that's all we need, right? Sometimes just a little push. Just, and then just a little, here's a breadcrumb and yes. you go on your own trail. That's really go, what it is. Yeah. This is amazing. Like I, I didn't even think that this could be used for my product. And that's hopefully what I plan to do with at SAS on YouTube is just kind of, just make it a, 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 a place for everything SaaS. The I tools, the founders, so the journey. Yeah, I think it's I think it should be good. Um and coming, you know, probably next month or the month after, just because I still gotta build this studio. This this room ain't <laughs> this room ain't it. I mean, this is the yep. it's a it's an echo chamber. There's, you know, <laughs> I need to be sweating when yes. I when the lights are on me. That's like, exactly I mean, no LED, <laughs> just all it, you know, just, oh, just up movie lights from the fifties. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lamps. Oh, that's that's, I'm ready. Well, so. you, you'll figure it out. That's the thing, right? When I started, it was like in in the worst possible corner of my unfinished basement, and I had like probably also the worst choices in lighting, the worst choices in everything, worst mic, worst camera. I I was using like not even a good phone. I was just using the, the crappiest little thing. It all works out because the idea is more important than, funny enough, more important than the execution in the beginning, at least, is the idea when it comes to media, right? If people get value from what you share, you could be like filming it through a potato, they would still watch it because the idea, it's, it's the content that matters. And that being said, if people would like to follow you on your journey, and I, we already mentioned your SaaS handle on, on YouTube a couple of times, but if they wanted to follow you in particular as a founder and your other projects, where should they go? So uh, the best place would just find me on X. I mean, and that's at Spence Patterson. I couldn't get the R because someone else had that already, but <laughs> I have to. So now all my, I, I uniformly changed all my handles on LinkedIn and everything to be at Spence Patterson. So I've gone by that nickname before. So I'll just, uh, I'll, I guess that's how I'm going to be referred to now in the future. So at Spence Patterson on X, at Spence Patterson on LinkedIn, however you want to connect to me. Um, I would love to hear about Founders Journeys because I am going to be building a YouTube community and and uh, doing videos. And also, if you have a project that is really interesting, like, you know, a podcast scraper or something like that, um, you know, I, I would love to invest as well. If it's if it's something that's in the vertical that I'm comfortable with or if it's, you know, something that's just unique and groundbreaking. Uh, hey, what what could a little runway help with in terms of scale you know, and growth and also some advice from someone who's done it before? So. Yeah, uh, my my new title, I guess, will just be investor slash influencer. <laughs> that'll be my new. That'll be my new title. <laughs> I gotta say, like, if if you that, that's the thing with being an educator, like an educator wants to influence, right? You want want to influence in the best possible way the people that you're trying to educate. And if you're a teacher on YouTube, on on X, on or Twitter, as uh, what the more traditionalists would call it, you know, wherever you go, if if you consider your work to be impactful influence. 
teaching, whatever it is, then calling yourself an influencer is fine. We're not in Dubai taking selfies, but we are sitting in our mostly not soundproof rooms trying to help other people build businesses. I think that's perfectly fine. I right? think it's great because I think a lot of people are in the same non-soundproof rooms going, how do, <laughs> that's I, get exactly my right. how do I get my business to where both of them have gotten it before? And that's that's the goal is to be able to help other people escape that uh, that kind of societal chains of, you know, trading time for money. And I think that that's really, if we could get more people to stop trading their time for money, I think that would, it would make the world a better place. And that's coming from an ex-day trader. So, you know, <laughs> right. Thank you so much for being on the show. That was a, a very insightful and very hopeful, very positive conversation. I really appreciate it, Spencer. Thank, thank you so thank much. You so, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I look forward to next time as well. Absolutely. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a really solid SaaS product. You acquired all those customers and everything is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. That's the dream of every SaaS founder, right? Problem is, you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's lack of skill or lack of focus or lack of interest. You don't know. You just feel stuck in your business with your business. What should you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down, you reignited the fire, and you started working on the business, not just in the business. And all those things you did, like audience building and marketing and sales and outreach, they really helped you to go down this road, six months down the road, making all that money. You tripled your revenue and you have this hyper successful business. That is the dream. The reality, unfortunately, is not as simple as this. And the situation that you might find yourself in is looking different for every single founder who is facing this crossroad. This problem is common, but it looks different every time. But what doesn't look different every time is the story that here just ends up being one of inaction and stagnation. Because the business becomes less and less valuable over time and then eventually completely worthless if you don't do anything. So if you find yourself here, already at this point, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option, and that is selling your business on acquire.com. Because you capitalizing on the value of your time today is a pretty smart move. It's certainly better than not doing anything. And acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. Just go check it out at try.acquire.com slash Arvid, me, and see for yourself if this is the right option for you, your business at this time. You might just want to wait a bit and see if it works out half a year from now or a year from now, just check it out. It's always good to be in the know. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder today. I really appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Avitkal, A-R-V-A-D-K-A-H-L. And you find my books and my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me and this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, whatever that might be. Do let me know. It would be interesting to see. And leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It really makes a big difference if you show up there because then this podcast shows up in other people's feeds. And that's, I think, where we all would like it to be, just helping other people learn and see and understand new things. Any of this will help the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.